Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It's actually not Alex Pearson, but it is Global News Radio. Ed Keenan with you through till 10 o'clock and glad to uh to uh, be doing so. Uh, in the studio with me now, Maddie DiMuccio is the CEO of Society uh, for Quality Education, the president of the York Region Taxpayers Association, and a syndicated columnist with Troy Media. Welcome. Hello, Ed. Thank you for having me tonight. How are you? I'm great. I'm ready to go. All right. And uh, Leanna Kersner, a YouTuber as well as a video game and tech advocate. That is correct. Hello. And on the phone, we have Alyssa Friedman, public relations and pop culture expert. Alyssa, how are you doing? Just doing fabulous. Glad to join the panel. All right. So we'll start with you uh, since you're on the phone. And and since this sort of bridges the gap, uh, I mean, it's television. It's not quite pop culture. Uh, But there's a story in the Globe and Mail from just uh, earlier today about a plan at the CBC on their uh, sort of news magazine program, The Fifth Estate. Uh, which has been under pressure to boost ratings after its overall viewership, this according to the Globe, declined 16% last season. Uh, So, uh, you know, in an attempt to boost ratings, apparently, although they won't comment on a show that's under there, but the Globe has learned that they've been talking about a series, possibly four episodes, about Paul Bernardo that might include uh, interviews with uh, him, and with his uh, ex-wife and accomplice, Carla Homolka. Uh, this according to a source who talked to the Globe. Uh, and uh, they, they sort of, in, in some of their emails that were obtained by the Globe, uh, they, they sort of compared it uh, to, you know, popular true crime documentaries that are out there, like the ones for the O.J. Simpson uh, trial and the Lorena Bobbitt trials, Right. Uh, people within the CBC and outside of the CBC have expressed uh, quite a bit of anger because they say essentially that, first of all, you run the risk of re-traumatizing the victims and that all these years later, putting uh, the spotlight on these people again just sort of, you know, it's just sensational. It's sort of uh, milking uh, this. Uh, whereas at the other the other side of it, I guess some people would say if the ratings are expected to be there, it's because there remains a public interest in this. And I, I wonder, uh, Alyssa, what you think. Well, you know, it's really interesting. When I read that article, it hit on all the points. When your ratings have dropped 16%, that's significant. So with the people, the producers of the Fifth Estate, they get together and say, we need to do something. We need to have force viewing, and we need to come up with something sensational that people will tune into. Well, 
that's not new for any media outlet, anything that we watch. You know, you watch American Idol, you watch The Voice, you watch Big Brother. It's all to get you to come back night after night or week after week. So that whole narrative and that whole way of, you know, doing business in TV is is not something new. And while people may look at that and say, well, that's just terrible, that's called business. (laughs) Yeah, that's entertainment, right? The other thing, when we talk about the story itself, listen, I remember the headlines and, you know, I was at, at an age at that point where it was one of the most horrific yet sensational uh, murder cases because uh, of how it how it occurred and Carla Homolka's involvement in it. And it gripped the headlines for months, day after day after day. So it, I find it interesting that CBC has chosen to come up with, A, an older story, which is clearly geared to an older demographic, not calling myself old, but I am older, whereas a lot of their uh, programming is often done to, you know, bring on the 20 and, 30, you know, the 18 to 34 demographic to help grow with the station. I, you know, I remember the story, and I think if they can shed new light, you know, do I consider it so sensationalist that I wouldn't watch? No, I probably would watch. Um, I think that the whole mystique around Carla Homolka was one that uh, people could never wrap their heads around, and she has continued to be her story, has continued to be told. So I understand why some people think, well, we're just giving, uh, you know, this guy a platform. He went up for, um, he tried to get parole last year. He was denied. And for a large, older demographic of the Canadian population, they do remember this, and it would be interesting to see if they would actually tune in. Yeah, I don't know if I'm often referred to as an older demographic, but I was a teenager in Scarborough at the time that the Scarborough Rapist was at large. And, uh, you know, I remember walking girls from school home. Uh, I I remember... uh, you know, searches for bodies around that time that wound up being linked to this. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a it's a weird thing, Maddie, because uh, on the one hand, I, I actually like reading crime stories. I'm, I'm a sucker for true crime stuff. Uh, suddenly, for me, it feels like this is close to home. And so maybe it but but is this just a true crime story that that a it makes sense for them to do, or is this kind of in bad taste? Well, that's uh, the best question, because really, essentially, I think it is a, it is a newsworthy thing to do. Um, the question really becomes, is it going to be done tastefully? Is it going to be done with integrity? And is it going to be done from the perspective of not just the sensationalist crime by Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, but really by you know, the viewpoint of the victims, the legal community. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I just recently took some law classes and this is often, this case is often referred to in many ethics law classes um, and rightfully so because we could learn so much through the through some of the things. I mean, there was a lot of unprecedented things that happened. For example, Bernardo's lawyer who hid the uh, videotapes and that became a big question of law. Um, so a lot of those things are important to people in the legal community. And for viewers like you and I, um, it, it, it's also newsworthy to watch from that perspective. We've seen a lot of fantastic documentaries made by, you know, Netflix. There was a recent one, uh, I think it was it was about the Central Park Five. Right. Um, and that was fantastic. Now, I'm not saying that, that this is going to be on that level. However, it could be if there's a lot of research and resources that go into this. It could actually be a good program as long as, as I said, again, as I said, it was done. It's, it's being done tastefully. Um, and from the perspective of, of of every player that was in that that unfortunate time. And by the way, I'm just a little bit older than you, Ed, because you were a teenager <laughs> at the time. I was just a bit older than that, so I remember it very yeah, well. I'm all wondering what our age is here. <laughs> we will slowly find out. Forty something. 
Sorry, Leanna, Alyssa said at some point, you know, if it sheds new light, and is that like really the essential question? Is if I mean, this, this is a news program, right? Fifth Estate, and and is we're talking about the tone of it or whatever, but at the same time, they I mean, they want viewers. That's why they're doing it. But if it's going to serve some social function, it seems like... But I, I'm skeptical about how much new ground they're going to break right now. Well, I can just tell you, coming from the digital side, coming from the YouTube side, uh, we spent a lot of time... I did it this week. I, I made a video on YouTube because the media covered a murder of a 17-year-old girl badly. Whenever there's some sensational element, people miss the fundamentals of crime that tend to not change when you get anything with like an unhealthy relationship, sexualized violence, anything like that, the media, the mainstream media tends to miss the point. And that's my big concern in new media. If they make a show about the mistakes in the Bernardo case, if they make a show with like our now fresh post me too knowledge, Mm -hmm. that might be extremely interesting just to show how much things have changed. I'm not holding out hope that the CBC is going to do that well, just based on their track record and the fact that it's it's already open. It's a ratings grab. We call this chasing the algorithm on YouTube that tends to result in hot takes. Hot takes tend to be bad takes. <laughs> so, you know, you're doing a hot take on a cold case. That's a recipe for disaster. So... All right, we're well, going to. You know, it's interesting. You bring up both both panelists brought up a good point, and Netflix has set the bar very high. Mm-hmm. And I did watch um, when they see us mm-hmm. the story about the Central Park Five, and it was done brilliantly, and it was done with integrity, and it gave context. And then there was sort of a an Oprah talk show type of thing that happened afterwards, so you can, you know, that was then, and this is now. So I think that. If there is integrity, if they do shed new light, or if they put what happened then into the context of of how we look at this now, that could prove very interesting. All right, we're going to continue with the counterpoint panel in just a moment, but uh, my understanding is that uh, producer, Global News Radio producer Jason Chapman is on the line with breaking news. Yeah, and I'm so sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Discussion, guys. Um, I just, this is fascinating to me. So about 30 minutes ago, I stepped out into my back porch, and it's clear here. It's uh, And I, I apologize to people outside of Toronto, but I still think it's fascinating outside of the city. Just before 8, a massive clap of what I thought was thunder erupted in the sky. And again, sunny. It's a beautiful evening here. Yeah, I'm looking out of the Sugar Beach studio windows here. It doesn't look like uh, thunderstorm weather. No. I said to my neighbor, that's weird. It sounded like it looked sunny out. So... <laughs> My wife was sort of looking at social media a few minutes after, and the Facebook, that's right, I call it the Facebook, and the Twitter just went and erupted with, what the heck was that? What the heck was that? Fortunately, I have a newsroom at my fingertips. So I <laughs> yeah. To work. And the I'm producer's prerogative. Exactly. So we just got off the phone with Toronto Police, and um, something known as the CBRNE team from Toronto Police if you don't know what that is, don't worry, neither did I. It's the Chemical, Biological, Radiological, Nuclear, and Explosive Team oh. of Toronto Police was conducting a exercise. They detonated an <laughs> explosive. The oh. explosive was, quote, a lot louder than they expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm hearing reports this was heard all the way up to North Toronto, old North Toronto, excuse me, it's like Young and Eglinton, and to Scarborough, I'm sure beyond those boundaries people heard it. It was, it, it just lit up, quote unquote, the night sky was sound. I mean, it was incredible, guys. So I don't know exactly what was exploded. I am assuming this was detonated off of Tommy Thompson Park, the spit that juts out into Lake mm-hmm. Ontario. And that's why us on the east end heard it probably louder than other parts. But it was wild. It was a bit louder than expected. Nobody was injured. There was no threat to the public, we're told. But dang, it was loud. Uh, Now, you don't know what it was, but you read out the acronym. So I'm hoping that it was not chemical, biological, or nuclear. Yeah, because that's like glaring in my mind right now. And what is the reason for that? Well, it's the E. It's the explosives. It was just, but chemical. It was just a large can of Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> you got the official explanation, man. But I, it's well, like an Area 51 situation going on out there. He's got to so. get his researchers out there, investigators, to find out what's going on. <laughs> Would it have killed them to warn people? Well, no. It, great point. No, it wouldn't have. This might have been one you wanted to say. You might hear a sound in the sky. Don't yeah. be alarmed. Hey, before we we're going to be blowing stuff up. Yeah. 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 It may not be dangerous. Jason Chapman, thanks for that update. If you're out there in, somewhere in Toronto listening and you heard the loud uh, clap lighting up the sky, as Jason Chapman said, that's what it was. Nothing to be alarmed about. Louder is the police. And it was louder than they expected it to be. <laughs> uh, we got more counterpoint coming back. On On Point with Ed Keenan, but we got to take a quick break. You're listening to Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. All right, that, of course, is the sound of a crowd chanting at a Trump rally last. Last night, I believe, uh, time is is spreading out for me into longer and longer (laughs) stretches. It was last night, but it feels like we've been talking about it for two weeks. Uh, But it it has been the the controversy that that surrounds this has been going on a little bit longer than that, because earlier in the week, uh, Donald Trump tweeted out that some four four of his critics, uh, women of color who are elected officials in the United States should go back where they came from. Uh, and, you know, people have been talking about it ever since. I don't want to spend all night on this because we did. I did talk about it earlier, and, uh, and uh, I did put it to the other panel. But I did want to canvas your opinion on this, specifically about uh, Andrew Scheer, uh, you know, has said it was offensive uh, and that... Uh, I don't think there's any place in our society for intolerance of those kind of divisive comments. Uh, Justin Trudeau said something similar. He he added sort of that this is not how we do things in Canada. Uh, you know, in, in my mind, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And so, I mean, they're expressing their disagreement, but I've heard both of these men criticized fairly vocally for not not being strong enough. Not You know, the headline I'm reading from the Saskatoon Star Phoenix says... Sheer stops short of condemning Trump tweets as racist. Um, what do we expect from our political leaders? Like, how strong a statement do we expect Canadian political leaders to make uh, in in a case like this? Leanna, we can start with you. Well, there's two separate questions here, right? I mean, no matter what happens, Twitter goes crazy, right? Mm. That's part of the problem. Um, there's two responsibilities here. One is to stand up for our values. The other is to 
not incite a riot, which is something that, you know, Trump has been accused in the American media of possibly doing. He is inciting danger against Ilhan Omar. The other thing uh, Trudeau has to deal with is that him and Trump have an acrimonious relationship. Trump is easy to set off. He's got to watch his words. I mean, there have been issues in the past about the back and forth with Trump and Trudeau and refugees causing various things. I'm not going to get into that now, but he's got to be careful. Shear's got a separate problem. There was nothing really objectionable about what either of them said. I thought b- mm. both of them made it very clear that they do not condone or agree with what Trump said. Shear has a separate problem. He's got a branding problem. There's already this racial issue sticking to him because of some people he's appeared on stage with, some things he hasn't batted down um, earlier. The fact that... <sighs> The fact that his ideas on race or how he feels about Canadian multiculturalism are even in question in a way they aren't for Trudeau, um, that's going to be a problem for him come the election. And I don't know how he gets out of it because I thought he handled it fairly well. His reputation is just preceding him on this point. All right, Maddie. Uh, I mean, I've I've heard it said that, and it, it certainly in my mind is no justification for it or anything like that. And I and I think people have to speak out about what they believe is important anyway. But I think Trump knows what he's doing, stirring this sort of things up, both with his own crowds, but also the reaction he provokes. Uh, you know, lets him rally the troops. This is what I've heard. Uh, so, I mean, in that context, I mean, I don't know what that means to Canadians, but we're just, uh, Leanna's suggesting that Sheer has a branding problem. Like, I, what do you think? I, I think you're absolutely right. Trump says a lot of things that we should acknowledge, that he is masterful at stirring up politics for his base, and that's what he does. The thing that I that I have an issue with is that every time he opens his mouth, somehow I'm supposed to care about what our leaders think about it. And I really don't give a bleep mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I care about this campaign. I care about the economy. I care about, you know, um, there's a lot of national issues at stake here. Uh, and we need to talk about that. I really don't care. This is the media uh, who wants to, who, who's asking a loaded question because they want a specific response. This is what the media wants. They want a response, and they are doing the exact same thing that Trump is doing. They're trying to elicit a lot of divisiveness, and that's what the media does. I'm in the media. We're all in the media here. So I think we, we kind of understand sometimes we get stuck in this little bubble, but the reality is outside. Everybody's out there. Voters don't care about this stuff. It just turns them right off. It just, you know, they, they tune it all out because... Every other day, there's something Trump says that we're all supposed to be outraged about. And the reality is people don't care. They're sick and tired of it. They want to start focusing on, like I said, matters that issue and the reasons that we do go to the polls. Well, I'm not sure that's entirely true because the last election hinged on the whole question of the hijab. Like, that's when Harper, the old stock Canadians comment, that's when Harper started to drop and Trudeau started to rise. So these things... Do matter. They do matter yeah. in Canadian context, but yeah. this is an American context. And you said earlier, you know, on the break, you're absolutely right. And you said that, you know, we um, we have to be careful with our leaders here in Canada mm-hmm. and getting along with the leader in, in, in America. Yeah. We can't have, you know, this constant. We, we see what, what happened with Justin Trudeau. So, Alyssa, I, mean, yeah, we've Alyssa got to- I just want to bring you in here. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that on the one hand, if, if, uh, if our 
political leaders in Canada are going to be judged on their response to every Trump controversy, then they're never going to really do much else. Uh, and on the other hand, I also don't think, maybe it's the same hand, uh, we're not going to turn our election into a referendum on Donald Trump, are we? But at the same time, I think many of us do want our leaders making a statement on behalf of Canada. I agree, and I think it's a very short walk from uh, between here and, uh, and 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 south of the border. And some of those um, tensions that foment in the states are certainly things that you know people are thinking of. Whenever, listen, from a PR perspective, whenever a head of state or a leader is asked to make a comment, the one thing you do is that if you don't want to take sides, you go straight down the middle. And, you know, that's essentially what both Scheer and Trudeau did. But I agree that Scheer does have a branding problem. Like, it seems to me that he doesn't really stand for anything or you don't know where he stands at all. I think that this issue is particularly heinous. I think, you know, the way we see these things handled now, for example, um, I saw in my Instagram feed, they did a juxtaposition of, you know, this Trump rally to how John McCain handled a question when they were about the birther issue with Obama. Yeah. And yeah. he said, you know, they said that he, you know, he's a Muslim and he's this and he's that. And, the, you know, McCain said, no, ma'am, no, we don't think like that. And we don't need that type of narrative or that rhetoric in our campaign. So for me, when you juxtapose four years ago to today on how and how extreme and how we now allow things that we would never, ever think or dare to discuss in political discourse and how it's become mainstream, it is frightening. And I think it does behoove our leaders to put a stake in the ground on how they feel about that. All right. I, I want to move on because I want to get into another topic here. Uh, and, and this one is, again, something we talked about uh, er, earlier in the show, but it is uh, it's a much closer to home issue. Um, th- this uh, man who committed a, a sort of a brutal murder, what would be considered second degree murder, uh, but who uh, was found not criminally responsible, of course, uh, es- escaped from CAMH, the, the mental health hospital where he was uh, being treated. Uh, and has fled the country. Earlier today, we heard um, we heard uh, police chief Mark Saunders say there are some gaps in the system, and they're launching two investigations to try and f- get answers about how this could happen and how they can prevent it from happening in the future. Uh, we also heard the premier say that he wants answers, and and maybe he started talking about nutcases and uh, crackpots and and how dangerous they are, and so maybe. Uh, a lot of people agreed with his sentiment, but would think his language is kind of dangerous. Uh, but And then we spoke earlier to an expert on this who says, you know, essentially, uh, we need to adjust the balance uh, on how, uh, obviously, if people have mental health programs, if they're problems, if they're not being criminally responsible, we're not punishing them. But we still have to preserve public safety. So we've got multiple responses to this, and I just wanted to sort of canvas where where you're at on it. Uh, why don't we start with you, Alyssa? I mean, first of all, Chief Saunders saying, you know, there are some gaps in the system. We're going to investigate, see if there's something we can do better in the future. Is that good enough? 
Well, it is for now because, I mean, what else is he going to say? You know, these are called holding statements. So when you don't have all the facts at hand or whether you're in the process of gathering facts, that's what he needs to say. And to say any more than that or to, or, and, or to provide worse would, would be speculation. You never want to speculate because those words become on the record. So even if he said, well, I think this is what happened and then it turned out to be completely different, well, then he's made to look as a fool. So that is the exact right holding statement to say. However, when you look at the way Doug Ford characterizes this, and he likes to think of himself as a man of the people, so, you know, talk in the language that maybe everybody else is talking in. I think that, well, at least I am. I'm, I'm really tired of the Doug Ford rhetoric. I think that if you're going to be a premier of a province, I expect you to comport yourself in a certain way and to certainly not to go down that hole of calling somebody a nutcase. Yes, this, this is a very extreme example. I was talking about it with friends yesterday. How did this guy escape? How did he get hold of a passport? How did he get on a plane? How was none of this flagged? I mean, there's a lot of questions that we all have. And I think that Saunders uh, provided an appropriate comment for at the moment. All right. Leanna, what he said uh, when he called, it was in News Talk 1010, our friends down the dial earlier today. They said, someone's going to be answering because if you're calling this low risk, what is high risk? These crazy, crazy people that want to go around chopping people up, they're out on the streets. Um, and I, I think there probably are. He probably is saying what a lot of people are thinking. That's uh, the problem, it, though. That's yeah. the problem. He's the premier of Ontario. He should be reducing mental health stigma. These attitudes are by men and women who have served in the armed services, come back, get diagnosed with PTSD. They can't get jobs because people think they're high risk and are going to go around chopping people up. This story actually makes me angry. He, he had a brother, rest in peace, who was an addict. He should be better at these addiction and mental health issues. I don't just expect more of the premier. I expected more of Doug Ford as a person to have compassion for people with struggles because his own brother had one and his own brother did some not great things, sometimes bordering on violence, grabbing reporters by the throat and things like that. And this is absolutely unacceptable. You can't criminalize mental health. You can't. This guy did commit a crime. He was found not criminally responsible. Everybody gets scared thinking once a criminal, always a criminal. As long as people with some of these conditions are medicated, they are low risk. He didn't escape from CAMH. He was out on a day pass and didn't come back. So first of all, the optics of this thing, we have to realize what they are, right? Like, let's get it mm-hmm. right. This is news here. He was out on a day pass. He just didn't come back. CAMH reported it within 47, uh, 47 hours, 48 hours. The police dropped the ball. All right. Matt, Maddie, I'm going to give you the last word, but we're going to have to wrap up fairly yeah. quickly. Yeah. But still, uh, I mean, what, what I've heard is uh, Chief Saunders criticized for being a little bit too uh, lawyered. Uh, Doug, Doug Ford maybe being irresponsible. What, what is the right thing for authority figures to be saying at a time like this? What do we need to hear them saying about things like this? I was really appalled as well as my fellow panelists, panelists were about Doug Ford's comments and his rhetoric. Uh, it was inflammatory. Anyone who walks down a street in Toronto and sees a lot of mentally ill people that are homeless, are, you know, now they face, you know, risk being stigmatized and, and being fearful. I understand the public being afraid but but Doug Ford did not help things he's not uh, you know he's he's receiving med- he he's receiving medical treatment he's not held criminally responsible having said that however with this whole situation um, I think that um, Saunders is is very quiet about it they're doing an investigation but I think there's more than one person involved here it's not just about this particular individual it's who helped him how did he get a passport how did that all be 
you know, how, how was it facilitated? There's more than one player. So I think we're going to see a lot more in the coming future about this investigation. And I do hope that the police is open about it because we learned that they were not in the beginning and the public deserves to know, especially after Ford's comments today, making with all that rhetoric. I think the public is, is, is fearful. All right, Maddie, Liana, Alyssa, thank you for, for that. I appreciate the good conversation, as always, on Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.